beautiful. Thank you, worship team. We are in a series in the Gospel of Luke, and today we're in chapter 9, verse 28, and we're going to read 28 through 36, and if you don't have a Bible, it's always good to have one in front of you. There's a blue Bible in front of you, and 867 is the reading. And we're also going to make a reference to Exodus chapter 34, page 74. And you'll see why when we read those two together. Luke 9 and Exodus 34. And I want to begin with Exodus 34. And uh, let's stand at the reading of God's word. Exodus 34, 4 through 6. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, and he went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Then in verse 29... When Moses came down from, the Mount, um, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain, and Moses did not know that his, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterwards, all the people of Israel came near and Moses commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these, after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. You may be seated and let's take a moment 
to reflect on God's word. This sermon is a call to become fully awake. To become fully awake to the reality of Jesus. Don't, don't allow your eyes to be heavy with sleep. Did you see that? This, this great transfiguration is about ready to take place and James and Peter and John, their eyes are heavy. Jesus uses this same term later in Luke in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to the same three, watch yourselves. Like you got to pay attention to yourself. Nobody else can do this for you. you. You have to do it. Watch yourselves that your heart does not become heavy. Be on guard that you don't allow your eyes to close due to careless ease or anxieties of a life. Be careful because your eyes can close due to the pursuit of careless ease. Your eyes can close due to the anxieties in life. So watch yourselves. And that's my prayer this morning is God would use this passage for us to become fully awake, fully aware, to, to call us out of whatever might cause us to fall asleep endless pursuit of ease, endless anxieties. So let's pray together to that end. Lord, we're here just for a few minutes. And it's so easy to be distracted. And so we have to watch ourselves. Would you, would you encourage us? Would you help us so that our spirits, our souls might be fully awake just for a few minutes here to your word? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you sell a house, one of the things you do for the potential buyer is you give what's called a disclosure statement. Most of you probably know what that is. It's a, it tells you basically that when I've gone into your house and I sort of see the exterior of it, does what I see in the exterior match the interior? In other words, I can't see if there's termites. I can't see all the plumbing and the electricity. There's so many things I can't see with my eyes that you give to the buyer, the potential buyer. Here's a disclosure statement to make sure that, that I, I, as the buyer, what I'm buying, the outside matches the inside. It's a disclosure statement. And in Luke chapter 9, the transfiguration is like a disclosure statement about Jesus. The disciples have been seeing some things mostly from the exterior. And for just a mo brief moment, they get a disclosure statement. They get a look on the inside, so to speak. Jesus is about two years into his three-year public ministry. And up until this point, there's been a lot of great things that have been happening. He's brought somebody back from the dead. He's healed a leper he fed 5,000, which as we learned was maybe more like 20,000. And in this two-year span, Jesus's popularity is really growing. That, that's how he got 20,000 people at this political rally that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. His popularity is, is enormous. <clears throat> 
And yet at the transfiguration, God peels back this exterior to reveal something that's interior. And I think he does this for a couple of reasons. One, the transfiguration at this point with one year left in Jesus's ministry is taking a turn. And you can see it in the text. It's not something you maybe would notice in your reading. So I want to point it out to you. Verse 44 of Luke 9. But while they were all marveling at everything Jesus was doing, you hear that? We're all just marveling this. We've been following Jesus, all the things that he's doing. Jesus says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be uh, delivered into the hands of men. Verse 51 When the days drew drew near for Jesus to be taken up, this is his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. If if there was a theme, if there was music here, it'd be bum, 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 bum. It would be something, a turn is happening. There's a dark movement here. And Jesus is just now beginning to reveal that to his disciples. And he's just about ready to enter into it himself. So I think part of this transfiguration with Moses and Eliza and the Lord is to, to encourage Jesus himself to say, hey, we all know you're heading towards the cross. Keep going. Keep going. And secondly, it's obviously a disclosure to statement for the disciples. They're heading that way with him. And this growing popularity is going to end in not very popular. Crucifixion. And they're going to need something to sort of hold on to to say, well, what I thought from the outside didn't seem to match. And I I need to see something. And so Jesus reveals something about himself here. And I want us to look at Luke 9 as a kind of disclosure statement of Jesus' divinity. Proof of who he is. And it's revealed in three ways. Jesus' divinity is disclosed by the transfiguration itself. Jesus' divinity is disclosed by Elijah and Moses. And Jesus, finally, his divinity is disclosed by God himself. So look at, let's look at those in turn. Verses 28 through 30, Jesus' divinity is disclosed by the transfiguration. When, when Luke is writing this, he expects his readers to connect this to, to Exodus 34. He assumes every reader here understands the story of Exodus and what happened on this mountain in, in chapter 34, which we just read about. And you can see the parallels. Both have mountains. Both have a cloud that descends. And God's voice comes from the cloud. Both Moses and Jesus have radiant faces. Both places God has revealed. In Exodus, the Lord comes down to deliver a sermon to Moses. Imagine being the audience for this sermon. He's coming down to, to, to self-disclose. And it says he walks back and forth. And I don't know if God's a preacher, but that's what I would imagine. He's walking back and forth in front of the one person in the audience. And what is he saying? The Lord, the Lord, 
Yahweh, I'm, I'm right here in front of you, Moses, and I'm going to self-disclose what I'm like. And what's the very first character trait that he gives? The Lord, the Lord, he's merciful. I wonder if, if God came to you, what you think he might first say or about himself to you. The Lord, the Lord, judgmental. First thing he says is, I'm merciful. That's the first characteristic I want you to, to see about my self-disclosure. Both events, as I said, have radiance. Because Moses had spoken with the Lord, he's reflecting God's glory, which apparently had some kind of unusual effect on the people, so he, he had a veil over his face. It might be easy to assume that what's happening here in Luke 9 was just a repetition of Exodus and that Jesus was sort of a new Moses. And I would want to say, no, not, not exactly. Although Moses is rightly thought of as an Old Testament shadow, a shadow is a great deal different than a real thing. If we go out here and we see a shadow of a tree, well, you can tell some things about a tree, but the shadow is a lot different than a real tree. And the real tree has shown up here in Luke 9. We see some important distinctions. First, when Jesus was transfigured, or this word in the Greek means metamorphosis, Jesus' face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. In Matthew, it says, his face shone like the sun. See, God's light wasn't reflecting off Jesus. God's light was coming out of Jesus. See, this is a pretty big difference. Moses had been affected by the, the light that was coming from the Lord. But you see what Jesus is saying about himself? I am the Lord. The light is emanating from me. You couldn't put a veil over this any more than you could put a curtain around the sun. This is a light that's coming from Jesus. This is why we have these other passages, Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance, the shining out of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being. Or in John chapter 1, interestingly, John is writing his gospel. He's seen this event and this is what he says about Jesus. In Jesus was life. And that life was light. It's the first thing he wants to say about Jesus. He, he has life in himself. And the way you see it is you see it like light. It's light. The light has shined in the darkness. True light that gives light to every man was coming into the world with Jesus. So the transfiguration is a look at the interior of Jesus. And what God wanted to disclose to these three disciples and disciples today is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He just wants that to be like a, a foundation. Jesus, God showed up on this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, we can see some things from the exterior, but here he's peeling back the interior to say, this is who I really am. And my question for all of us is, do we really see him? Are, are we fully awake to that reality? 
Or are we just kind of acknowledging, but mostly we're pretty sleepy? Secondly, Jesus' divinity is disclosed by the presence of Moses and Elijah. Why, why these two? John Calvin says this, It was intended to demonstrate that, that Christ alone is the end of the law, that's Moses, and the end of the prophets, that's Elijah. So these two people are representing the law and the prophets. It's a way of saying all of the Old Testament and you might remember in Luke, chapter 20, in Luke chapter 24, remember the road to Emmaus? These disciples are sort of bewildered that what has happened with Jesus, he's died, and they've heard about the resurrection, but they're not too sure about it. And Jesus shows up on the road. You remember this conversation? And they end up having dinner with Jesus, and they have this great theological uh, dinner with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to them. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. You hear that? All the, the law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And so Moses and Elijah are showing up on this mountain as to say, here's, I, we were the shadow, but here's the real thing. They've come to the Mount of Transfiguration and they're talking to Jesus. And gosh, don't you want to know what that conversation was like? I mean, don't you want Luke to say, Peter, tell me, what, what do they say? Were you paying attention? We know in verse 31, they talked about his departure. Isn't that an unusual way of saying it? In the Greek, that word is Exodus. So Moses is talking to Jesus about the exodus. And notice what it says, which he was about to accomplish. He wasn't just going to go and exit. His exit was going to accomplish something. They're looking down the road, so to speak, and they're talking to Jesus about an exodus and all that he's going to accomplish on the cross. Now, we don't know, but let's pretend that Elijah is reflecting on his own life. And you can go back and look this up later, but 1 Kings 18, some of you will be familiar with this. Elijah's having a showdown. Remember the showdown? It's on another mountain. And all the prophets of Baal, 450, are against Elijah, one man. And they both make these altars... And they say, whichever God comes down and consumes the sacrifice by fire, that's the real God. And these 450 prophets, they dance around and cut themselves and nothing happens. And Elijah kind of taunts them like, is he asleep? And then finally, Elijah stands up and he prays this prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac, let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant Answer me, O Lord, so that these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And perhaps Jesus and Elijah are looking at Jerusalem and they're looking at another hill. It's called Golgotha. Another place where a single final prophet, Jesus, is facing not just 450 prophets of Baal, but all the evil in the universe. And there's a sacrifice that's going to be cut into pieces 
and laid on wood. But the wood that is arranged will be in the shape of a cross. And the sacrifice is going to be Jesus. And maybe Elijah and Jesus are talking about that. And he's fortifying Jesus to say, keep going. This is going to turn people's hearts back to God. This is what you've been, you're here for. Don't, don't give up now when it gets very difficult. And again, we don't know, but imagine this conversation with Moses. Moses was remembering, hey, I remember an exodus. I, I remember a departure. It rescued people from slavery. But, but how were these people rescued? What was the cost of the rescue? You remember? An unblemished lamb had to be slain and his blood had to be over the doorpost so that everybody inside this home, death would pass over. If you're underneath the blood of the lamb, death passes over you. But who's going to be the lamb now? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Moses is saying, you're going to be the lamb. You're not going to just save uh, one people group from 400 years of slavery. You're going to save all of humanity from the slavery of sin. But it's going to take, Jesus, it's going to take your death. You're, you're the only unblemished person. It, it can't be me. It can't be Elijah. It's got to be you. My question is, are we fully awake to the reality of Jesus? Do we really think this happened? Or, or are you captured? Am I captured by the, the endless pursuit of ease? Are you just captured by this thought? As soon as this happens, then I'll be able just as soon as I graduate, as soon as I get this amount of money saved up, as soon as I get this house in order, as soon, like whatever that is, as soon as I, then I'll be able to sort of like, once my life is in order, I'm at ease, then I can really, like really trust Jesus. Or endless anxiety. Some of you sitting here right now, you can't hear. Your eyes are too heavy because you have so much internal turmoil that you don't really trust God with, and you know you don't because you're worried about it. You don't think the king of kings really knows. He needs your help. And your help is to be really anxious about it. I ask it this way. Are we really awake to the reality of Jesus? Because I listened to an interview this past week from a website called The Verge. And it was an interview that took place maybe a year ago with uh, Keanu Reeves. I think that's how you say his name. The Matrix guy. You know this guy? And uh, the, the girl that was with him, Carrie Ann Moss. And they're promoting the new movie. It's a year old now called The Matrix. Interestingly enough, called Resurrections. And Keanu Reeves was in a house with the producer, I think. And the producer had teenage children. And of course, uh, the Matrix, if you can believe it, 
was first produced 20 years ago. So these 15-year-olds, they don't know the matrix. So the producer is saying, well, Keanu, can you just tell them about the matrix so they'll understand this new sequel that's coming out? And so this is what Reeves says to these teenagers. It's about a guy who's living in a false virtual world, and he finds out there's a real world. And he tries to escape the false virtual world because he really wants to know what's real. And he wants to live in the real world. That's his description of the movie, The Matrix. The 15-year-old responds, why? Why does he try to escape? Who cares if it's real? You hear that? It doesn't matter if it's real. It's how it makes you feel. You see, there's so many ways to fall asleep. And if I had my phone right now, I'd pull it out and say, it's a giant sleeping pill. Makes your eyes heavy. It makes you think this is reality. This is comfort. This is the answer to my problem. I was listening to another podcast, and I'm not going to get this right because I didn't put this in my notes. But basically, it was a, a concerning conversation about technology. And the man said, hey, this is what's going to happen. It may have already happened, and you may have already done it. He said, you're going to be with a, an infant, maybe a one to two-year-old. And they're crying because their world isn't coming together like they want it to, to come together. You ever been in this situation? <clears throat> and you can't make them happy. So what do you do? You pull out your phone and you put a little video on or game. And they're the center of the world now. And that calms them down. And they learn at two years and old, this is what makes me happy. This is where I can be the center of the world. There's so many ways to fall asleep. And I've wondered myself, am I asleep? I mean, when I think about this in my study, I first think, am I asleep? Have I been caught myself and I can't see it because my eyes are closed? I've, I've been caught by the, the endless pursuit of ease. If I get all these things done at Christ Community Church, then finally there won't be any problems here. If I get all these things worked out in my family, then finally we can have peace. If I get all, you see, I, I can get caught up in that. Or if I don't think I can do them, then I have an endless amount of anxiety. And I wonder, Paul, have you fallen asleep? Have you seen the reality of Jesus? Have you been there and your eyes have seen him peeled back and you say, then this makes all the difference. Jesus is what's real. Do you have your eyes on him? Finally, and maybe most importantly, Jesus' divinity is disclosed by God Chapter 9, verse 32. And now Peter, love Peter, 
and those who are with them, this is James and John, including Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. But Peter, James, and John, their eyes were heavy with sleep. But then they became fully awake and they saw Jesus's glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, see, there's, they've had this little conversation and it looks like Moses and Elijah are leaving. And so Peter's got to say something, got to say something. Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You see this dash, not knowing what he was saying. You, have, you know anybody like this? I see some sideways looks here. They talk, but they don't really know what they're saying. This is Peter. God discloses Jesus' divinity. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. On March 4th, 1966, John Lennon, one of the Beatles, if you don't know who that is, you'll have to go back and do your search for yourself, says this, at the height of their popularity, it was recorded in the London Evening Standard, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I need not argue with that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. I love that the disciples were thick and ordinary. That gives me hope. God, but God was going to ensure that Jesus' divinity was disclosed despite the thick and ordinariness of the disciples. He's going to set the record straight. This is my son. And somehow, nervously, Peter felt like it was better to say something than nothing. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to bash on Peter, but this is Peter's MO. Something's happening, and I feel like it's, I'm not in control so I want to say something. I think this is a, a habit for Peter. He's talking, and if he's talking, he feels like he's in control. You know, know somebody like this? I don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable, so I just start talking because that sort of puts me in control, even though I don't have any idea what I'm saying, but at least everybody's listening to me, and I'm in control at this moment. This is Peter. Probably should have memorized Proverbs 17. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. But seriously, if you're in the presence of the glory of Christ in a transfigured way, Moses and Elijah show up. Do you have any need to say anything at all at that moment? No. There's, there's no, nothing, nothing Peter needs to add, but that doesn't stop Peter. He, he needs to feel in control at this point, I think. And so he said, it's good we're here. Let's make three tents or three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, there's a lot of analysis about Peter's statement. But one main danger for Peter's statement 
and his advice is it made Elijah, Moses, and Jesus all equal. Peter steps in this transformational moment, and I want to say this carefully, and instead of being quiet and allowing himself to be shaped and formed by this moment, Peter was expecting to step into the moment and have these people be shaped by his thoughts. Do you see that? Here's a transformational moment unlike anything else. And Peter felt it necessary to come in and say, hey, let me organize the moment for you guys. Uh, Jesus, you're here. Moses, you're here. Elijah, you're over here. The reason I say this is a common habit for Peter. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to a cross. And what does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Hey, we're not going that way. Do you feel that? I, I have a need to be in control of my spiritual formation, Jesus, and I'm not interested in the cross way of formation. At the Last Supper, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Remember this? And Jesus gets down to wash Peter's feet, and what does Peter say? You'll never wash my feet. You, you feel that? I'm telling Jesus what he can and can't do about my formation. Well, Peter, if, if I don't get to wash your feet, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, then wash my hands and my head and my face. I mean, I'm not here to do that, Peter. Again, you're trying to control, just trying to wash your feet. And you laugh, but how often do we enter in to the transformational space with Jesus and then we inform Jesus, here's how we'd like our transformation to take place. It happens all the time. People come into a church and they say, here's how I'd like to be transformed. I'd like this kind of preaching. I'd like this kind of song. I'd like this kind of community. And maybe you, don't, you just don't see Jesus because you're completely preoccupied by yourself even by coming in here. Because you know how your spiritual transformation should take place. Peter will get a big dose of humility a little bit later. Fortunately, in this moment, to help Peter, Peter stop digging a hole, God interrupts. Basically, Peter, shut up. I mean, I think Peter's in the middle of a breath and God's just like, I can't take it anymore. He descends in a cloud and he, and he straightens this whole thing out. Peter, this isn't Moses. This isn't Elijah. This is God's beloved son. Listen, listen, Peter. Whatever he says, that's light. That's life. Not you. Listen to him. And suddenly nobody's there except for Jesus. No one's left on this cosmic stage, not, not John Lennon, not Elon Musk, not Caesar, not Trump or Biden, not a religious leader, a Pharisee, a pastor, 
not even Elijah or Moses. The central figure in all of humanity is Jesus Christ. Do you see him? Peter finally gets it right, and we'll just close here. 1 Peter 1.16 For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Certainly a reference to this. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom am I well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He saw it. He believed. He's asking you, do you believe? Do you see? In the offering song, there was a line, I hadn't seen it before, but venture with him. It's an adventure. He gets to do all the transformation. Are you ready to step into that? Let's pray. Lord, um, I don't know. I don't know how much my mind and heart and soul might be captured by the world. I can't see it. And so I know the same is true for my friends here. They could be captured by ease. They could be captured by anxiety. They could be captured by anger. They could be captured by popularity. They could be captured by a cell phone screen. There's lots of ways for us to fall asleep. So we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to come in and do something in us and for us that helps us to become fully awake and then orient our lives around you. Would you help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.